my name's Kurt, and uh, I'm honored to be able to come and share from God's Word with you this morning. Every week, we come to this table, and on the way, we sing songs, we read scripture, uh, we consider what the Word of God might say to prepare us for this table. Um, and when we pray together like we just did, we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray that God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, we're in the midst of a study of parables, and a lot of the parables we read start with the kingdom of heaven is like. And so um, I hope that as we consider this parable this morning, uh, we can think about what the kingdom of heaven is like and what that kingdom of heaven might look like here on earth uh, now and today. And I have a clicker, too. I need to get ready. Excuse me. Boom. All right, so uh, this morning we're going to explore Matthew 20 and read the parable of the workers in the vineyard and particularly understand what it means uh, to us here in Monrovia, us here in the San Gabriel Valley, that the last will be first and the first will be last. Spoiler alert, this parable is really, really good news. Um, it's really direct, and unlike last week, we don't really need to flip it on its head. Adam, thanks so much for your words last week. Uh, you, you shared about the peasants in Salantanem under hearing the word of God and hearing the parable of the talents and saying, that's a lousy parable. And I think if they heard this parable, they would say, that's an amazing parable. That's a great parable. This is good news for us. And this is the kind of story that makes our socially conscious, activist, advocate ambitions smile with pride. We're still going to unpack the story a bit and uh, look at how ridiculous it is in light of the world we live in today, how incompatible it is with the realities of our economics, psychology, and culture. And we're going to celebrate how good of news it is that the kingdom of heaven is like this vineyard and like this vineyard owner's generosity. We're going to start a little bit before the parable. I want us to start with the end of Matthew 19. Um, it's always hard to read scripture out of context, and it'd be nice if we could read all of Matthew up until this point, but we don't have time for that, so... Um, let's stand together for the reading of the gospel. So this is the end of Matthew 19. Uh, Peter said to Jesus, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These last men have worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. The word of the Lord. Like this guy who's a, who owns a vineyard, I'm a business owner. Uh, similar to Adam last week, I find myself in a precarious spot where I have strong theological convictions. Sonia and I set out in our early adulthood uh, to live amongst and serve the poorest in the world. And here I am, running a small to medium-sized business that is very much for-profit. We're growth-oriented, which I found necessary when you want to empower others in leadership. I hire laborers. I decide what we pay them at the end of the day. So I can relate with this guy to some regard, but to my profit business, for-profit business owner's mind, this story makes no sense. And that's good news. That's good news because the kingdom of God isn't like a business here today. So we're going to look at that a little bit. I kind of want to uh, rip apart this vineyard owner for being a, uh, not a very good businessman. So we're going to look at that. Three basic reasons. Um, and again, think about how radically different the kingdom of heaven is from our culture and our economy here and now. So first of all, this guy's got a surplus of appropriately skilled labor. Uh, we're trying so hard to find appropriately skilled labor day in and day out. And I wish it was as easy as walking up to Myrtle and finding guys that can install window coverings or finding guys that can manage and place orders for window coverings or finding men and women that can bid out our window covering products. But I just don't have that luxury, so I cannot relate to this guy that he goes out five times to find people in one day. It's amazing. Second, uh, he's doing a terrible job at setting up good, good incentives. If I work for this guy, I'm just going to kind of camp out till the middle of the day or maybe the end of the day and then get my full day's pay. A denarius is a full day's pay, and everybody in this story gets a full day's pay regardless of when they come to the vineyard. Um, in my experience, you have to make sure that the way you reward people, what perks and benefits you give them, have some sort of correlation with their actual output. Uh, particularly when we give people gas cards, we found that more than gas ends up on the gas cards. Uh, we let people grab t-shirts at work all the time, and we go through so many t-shirts at work. Uh, there are ways that I would like to share with this guy, dude, you're getting taken advantage of. Maybe you need to think about being a little bit more tight with your incentives with these people. Again, this is good news that the kingdom of God is this, not this way. Thirdly, and I know you were all thinking this when you read it, this dude needs a spreadsheet, right? So let's build him one. So I couldn't help myself, and my hope is that in the next version of the NIV, this will be at the back with all the maps. Um, we've got five different worker types, full-time, three-quarter time, half-time, quarter time, and one-twelfth time. And it's pretty clear from the story that the full-time workers work 12 hours. 963 all the way down to one. Uh, I looked it up. Uh, the average grape picker picks 40 bushels a day. That's literally a ton of grapes a day. 
So if we break that out by hours worked, you see the spread there. All of them got a denarius a day. And I went with the LA County living wage, um, which is $14 and... 36 cents an hour. In my opinion, you can't live here for $15 an hour or less, so we're going with that. We're going for $14.36 an hour. Everybody gets paid the same thing. So you see here, there's a huge disparity. Cost per bushel, because we're uh, responsible financially, we're looking at that. Pay per hour, you can see the huge disparity in that. And then I came up with an efficiency factor just to look at how efficient each of the workers are. Uh, total. You got to total it up and throw in some averages, and what good is a spreadsheet without some amazing charts and graphs? <laughs> so we got a bar chart here. Thank you, thank you. Showing the huge discrepancy in equality of pay and huge inequality in output, and then uh, cost per bushel and pay per hour there shown on the right-hand side. If you want me to email this to you, let me know. Um, so all this to say, if it's a competitive market for grapes, we'll leave that there, this dude's not going to make it very long. And the next time his banker, he sits down and has lunch with his banker, and they look at financials and business plan, his banker's going to be like, no way, I'm not giving you that loan for wine barrels. I'm not giving you that line of credit. So this guy's in big trouble. Um, all right, that's enough unpacking of why this story makes no sense from a business perspective. Obviously, that's an important part, really important part of this parable. And it's a key part of Jesus' message in general. He's saying to his disciples, my kingdom is not like this world. My kingdom isn't built on competition or fear or greed or increase in power or maximizing profits. God gives up on profits. God gives to God's people. Jesus is saying, don't expect the rules of this world to limit my love, <clears throat> my grace, my generosity. And since we believe we pray that the kingdom will come here on earth as it is in heaven. We should take this as a word to us not to let the rules of this world limit our love, <clears throat> our grace, our generosity. Jesus' kingdom isn't built on competition, fear, greed, or increase in power. And I've got three kind of takeaways from this passage, from this parable, that I want us to consider. The last will be first, and the first will be last. As we read, chapter 19 ends with this phrase, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. It's a specific response to Peter saying, what's in it for us? And at the same time, Jesus is he's commending his disciples for giving up lots, giving up houses, children, farms. But he's also putting them in their place and letting them know that the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. The ways of my kingdom are different. Um, and this parable is told specifically to outline what it means for the last to be first and the first to be last. I want us to think about uh, people in our lives, people that we uh, look at as inspirational that are doing this type of work, making the last first. I think of uh, Father Greg Boyle. A lot, of a lot of us have read his books and been inspired by him. And he says this uh, about his ministry, Homeboy Industries, where they literally take, they literally go out and work with gang members and ex-gang members the last in our society in a lot of ways, the people that our society wants to get rid of. And he says this, we have chosen to stand with the demonized so that the demonizing will stop. We stand with the disposable so that the day will come when we stop throwing people away. Putting the last first uh, in our business, this is something that, again, as a man of faith and as a business owner, I've really worked hard to 
implement. And frankly, it's hard. It's been really challenging to find ways to make the last first in our business when so much of what we do is based on uh, being more profitable and having future opportunity with our customers. Um, it's risky to take the last in this world and to put them in front of your customers. Um, and I've got a lot of stories of ways that that's failed. We've tried and it hasn't worked out. We, this is years ago, and um, Taylor Souza uh, and I worked really hard together. Taylor poured a ton of time and love into a man um, named Carlos who came from Homeboy Industries through Father Greg's organization. And uh, we, wanted, we, we, we hired him as our warehouse uh, manager, and everything was going great. And uh, it was the end of our fiscal year, and I felt, we felt really compelled to follow these words. And we gave him a year-end bonus that did not match, frankly, his level of output or really what was appropriate for him. And it was devastating. We essentially enabled him to fall back into addiction, and he disappeared for a week, and we didn't see him. And it, was, it did not end well. It was really, really sad. So these things are hard. Um, Thankfully, we've had the courage to continue to take those risks, and a lot of them, again, haven't worked out. But we have a couple people working with us today that I think in a lot of ways were the last. They were the last people we you would have thought we would go to when we need help in our business. One of them um, literally was told, you'll never amount to anything, and he was literally flipping hamburgers at McDonald's and is now a project manager with us. And it's amazing. It's beautiful good news. Um, and another one was incarcerated uh, from his late teens through his early 30s. And again, what society would consider the last person you would trust with something in your business. And he's one of the first people now we can go to. Um, so it's been encouraging to see those things happen. And again, I want to acknowledge the fact that that's the minority. That's probably 5%. When we've tried that, it's really hard. Um, I look around this room and I... I see a lot of people that pour a lot of time and money and passion and energy into the last in our society. We're really good at this work, and I, I want to say frankly and honest to you guys, I was really hesitant in preparing this morning to be so bold as to say this and to celebrate, literally, like to celebrate our successes in ministry, because so often our posture at Mountainside uh, is of deep concern, and it comes from a beautiful place, but it's a deep concern that we're not doing enough, and we. We strive to be humble, and all of us, I would say, have a hard time celebrating great ministry-type successes within our church life. When it comes to ministry, we get turned off by people bragging about the great work that they do. And humility is super important. It's something that we talk about almost every week when we read Micah 6.8. Um, but I want to take a minute to celebrate some amazing things uh, happening here and that you all are doing to take... Uh, what God has given you and make the last first in your lives. And this is by no means an exhaustive list, but I think it's a powerful list for us to see and celebrate uh, the way that the last are being made first among us. Um, so many of you have committed uh, and continue to make orphans first in your lives. Immigrants, many of you continue to work so diligently on behalf of immigrants, our undocumented neighbors, uh, the work of the IRC that we've all uh, committed to. It's, it's beautiful. Homeless people, many of you professionally uh, and as volunteers spend so much time and energy to put those living on our streets first. Children, many of you have given your lives to your children and to others' children in the classroom, after school, in your homes. 
Those in prison, some of you have gone out of your way to advocate for and show love to incarcerated people, people the world has said need to be locked up for the rest of their lives. And as I, as I thought through these things and I put this list together, it, it blew my mind that literally the work of our church, the work that you are all doing has become, has manifested itself literally for orphan, immigrant, homeless children in prison. And it's the truth. I look at uh, the amazing things happening uh, in the Bolts home, taking in a family that was in, in most of these situations. I think about our worship service in Adelanto and um, the current initiative that Brad announced last week to provide uh, foster care for unaccompanied minors. Um, and there's so many other categories of what it looks like to be last in our society. And I'm not just trying to make ourselves feel good, but I, I, I couldn't read this parable without pointing this out. And I hope this can be a word of encouragement. Don't stop. Um, I hope we never stop. I hope this list continues to grow. Uh, but I couldn't just not acknowledge the amazing work happening that's literally putting the last first in our lives. The kingdom of earth, uh, sorry, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Um, number two, uh, Jesus' kingdom isn't built on competition, fear, greed, or increase in power. It's a kingdom where we don't find any value in comparing ourselves to others. Hauerwas, uh, in his commentary of Matthew, says, God's grace is the grace of truth, refusing to hide from us the character of our envy of those whom we think undeserving. Or said another way, God's grace isn't applied on a curve. Those workers that worked all day, the only reason they expected more was because they saw what others got. If they would have received their pay without seeing what the other workers receive, they would have been totally fine with it. Our values, children of God, as followers of Christ, can't be dependent on how we see ourselves in light of others. Our values in God. So often we determine our value, our success, by what the facts of our lives look like in comparison to the facts of others' lives. We're not happy, we're not at peace, we're sad, we're anxious, when we look at others and see something different, something we think we want more than what we already have. This is not the way of God's kingdom, and, and I want to personally confess, I fall into this trap all the time. Um, many of you don't use social media, which is amazing. Um, for those of us that do, we fall into this trap all the time. Um, I never don't think I don't work out enough until I go on Instagram. <laughs> and I say this joke, like, I, but it, it's true. I don't think about things like that until you see it in your face and you're like, oh, shoot, I should be doing more of that. I don't ever think I'm not socially connected to my colleagues and potential clients until I go on LinkedIn. I wish Rob was here. Such a good picture of Rob. Yeah. Um, it's only a concern of mine that I'm not connected. To, uh, it's only a concern of mine that I'm not doing enough in my life or in the world to bring about good change when I see how much other people are doing. And that's inspiring, right? We need that inspiration in our lives, but I think so often we let it get to us like the workers that worked all day, or like, yeah, like those workers that worked all day, and, and, and we feel this pressure of 
there should be more, there should be more. And again, those workers are, are complaining about what they're getting, and I think we fall into the trap of complaining about what's filling our life and what we're finding fulfillment in. Um, so literally yesterday, I went across the street from our house. There was a yard sale there, and I saw this book, which I'm sure many of you read have read. Uh, it's an amazing book about a guy named Dr. Paul Farmer who does amazing work in um, Haiti. Thank you. Uh, and Sonia and I read it when we were in the Peace Corps and immediately realized we're never going to like live up to this level of changing the world and having impact in the world. But it was crazy yesterday. I saw it, and I immediately felt this like, oh, I'm not doing enough. There's more I could be doing. And on the one hand, that's encouraging. On the other hand, I think we've got to start letting God's grace be enough. And we've got to make sure we don't keep adding things and adding things because of what we see in each other's lives. Again, I don't want to lose sight of that encouragement from each other, but I think we take it to an extreme where it becomes that envy. Um, and I'm preaching to myself here. So I can quickly let inspiring stories about radical love for the poor make me feel insufficient and that I'm not doing enough. I hope we can hear a word of encouragement today that we may need to avoid some temptation to keep adding things in our lives as a church. Maybe what we're doing right now with orphans, with immigrants, with children, with neighbors is enough. And instead of adding on more and more, maybe we can continue to grow in the things we're already doing. I think I went out of order here. Excuse me. Um, third thing, Jesus' kingdom isn't built on competition or fear or greed or increase in power. It's a kingdom where God gives us what we need, not what we have earned. And at the end of the day, the vineyard owner, the metaphor of God in this story, gives everyone what they need. They all need the day's pay. We all need the grace of God. Another quote here from uh, Hauerwas. It is not impartiality that, characters God, that characterizes God's grace in this parable, but rather the sheer abundance of God's grace. God's love cannot be used up, making possible the wide diversity characteristic of those whom Jesus calls. Another quote from Father Greg Boyle, the desire of God's heart is immeasurably larger than our imaginations can conjure. And this is such good news. It's good news for us. It's really good news for our neighbors. Frankly, it's good news for those we want to help but can't. And I know we all feel that uh, daily, weekly. There's so much more we want to do. God's heart is immeasurably larger than our imaginations can conjure. We don't need to worry about getting enough of God's grace and love. And I hope this is where we can find inspiration. God's grace is enough. God's love is enough. And uh, we don't need to measure it or measure our deserving of it or measure our value or success based on the picture, the pictures we see of others around us. Very beautifully, chapter 20 goes on and uh, the mother of Zebedee, no, the, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of the sons of Zebedee, who are some of Jesus' disciples, she asked Jesus for preferential treatment. She says, hey, when you come in glory, can one of my sons sit on your left and one of my sons sit on your right? And it's amazing to see as Matthew moves on, just, just constantly circling back. And again, Jesus says, if you want to be powerful, if you want to be mighty in my kingdom, you need to be a peasant. You need to be a slave. And then chapter 20 wraps up uh, with the beautiful story of Jesus walking with a big group of people and Two blind men are calling out after Jesus, saying, Jesus. And 
his disciples are trying to shush him and push him aside. And literally, it's this picture of the last in this society, the last in this situation. And Jesus stops, puts his hands on them, heals their eyes, makes them first. It's beautiful. This promise that regardless of the powers of this world, God will make the last first and the first last. the last first, and the first last. Um, So we're not going to come to the table quite yet because our kids aren't back with us. But as we do, I I encourage you, regardless of how much or how little you've done or accomplished this week, the same gift is for you. Christ's body is broken for you, and Christ's blood is shed for you, and it's a gift. It's not earned. It's given by a generous vineyard owner who's willing to give you the same as those who've been there all day, those who have done 10 times as much given to you to cover you, to redeem you, to give you hope, and to give you new life. Amen.